0: Amen. We may be seated. we got a quick video to show you guys as we get started. Now it's on? There it is. Okay. Nothing I said before mattered. Um, okay. So yeah, maybe, maybe your kids are having a great time. Mine are, t- are teenagers, so they might be deadpan, and they might be having a great time, but they're like, we ain't gonna show you. We're not going to show you because that's how teenagers are sometimes. So we're excited to be doing that with Hope Community Church in Everett um, and Sound City Bible in Linwood. And they're coming back today uh, tired, wore out, be praying for uh, those youth leaders that are there. Uh, we sent 15 kids to that. There's 55 total across the three churches. And you saw like, hey, they, you know, they, they just took what they had and went sledding. Like part of the competition, I guess, was actually building your own sled out of cardboard, um, which, which is, let's be Honest, you get like one run with that, maybe two, right? Because it's gonna break. And I don't know about you, like, if you've bought a sled at all in the last couple years, this is not like rosebud from back in the day or like in the 50s, like big metal, you know, deals. It's like any ones I get from Costco now, I feel like they break in an instant, uh, and they're and it's just worthless. And so, that has absolutely nothing to do with the sermon today. Uh, it's just my frustration uh, around cheap uh, sleds. So, what we're doing today at Mercy Fellowship, um, where we're saved by Jesus' work, we're changed by Jesus' grace, and we're living on Jesus' mission, is that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. And part of how we do that typically is preaching through books of the Bible, but at the beginning of this year, we started a sermon series called Preeminence, His Story, Our Practice, which is about Jesus Christ being first in all things. That we, we started by saying that the Bible from beginning, middle, end is all about Jesus, anticipating Jesus, revealing Jesus, and then us anticipating Jesus' return. And so we said, hey, if all of history is really his story, and, and, and we use this kind of verse to kind of be our umbrella for the whole thing. Colossians 1, 17 through 18 says this, He, meaning Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. We said that word preeminent is not one that's used anywhere else in the New Testament. It's used to describe Jesus alone, and and it has the meaning of someone being in highest rank first place, greatest dignity, being chief, which today on Super Bowl Sunday, I don't know that that means the chiefs are gonna win, um, but my money's on my homes. And when I say my money, I've got six kids. I don't have any money, so I don't gamble. Uh, and so, um, you're like, you're like, I don't know, root for who you wanna root for today. Um, but this series we said is, hey, if if Jesus is first in his story, and his story defines us, then Jesus being first should determine our practices. And so over these last few weeks and the next few weeks, we're we're really talking about how his um, uh, practices, or rather his story should determine our practices. And we said, hey, if Jesus is going to be first, then we think that as the people of God, not just individuals, but individuals who are part of a people, then we should embody and embrace just a few rhythms that we think characterize us and define us as disciples of Jesus. And we've said at Mercy Fellowship that we believe the disciples of Jesus who want to see Jesus first will be known individually and communally for four things. Number one, gather. That because Jesus is preeminent, we gather around the person and work of Jesus. And so that's, that's what we're doing here today. That Jesus first means participating with people. Number two, that, that you, we give. That, that because Jesus is preeminent, that he will actually be first in our finances. And so we give for the purposes of Jesus because he first gave to us. Now, we're going to talk about this one a little bit more today. And so if you're new, if this is your first Sunday, and, and let me just say, like, like if you uh, maybe haven't been to church for a while, or maybe you're like, when they go to church, all they do is talk about politics and sex and money. Like, well, we're not going to do politics or sex today, but, ha-ha, money, yay. Uh, and so glad, you, glad you're here. Um, we, we don't want that to be triggering for you, but we do just believe that our God's a God who gives, and he's made us to be givers. And then number three, grow because Jesus is preeminent, we pursue growth in him and for him he 's faithful for us, and he 's called us in some sense to be fruitful and then lastly, that we say we want to be people who go on mission, that our God is a sending God because Jesus is preeminent, um, our agenda is his uh, is our first priority, his agenda rather is our first priority and so we say hey, these are some rhythms that we think are important for us, and we said most of the time, we become very individually focused. And when we place ourselves first, our world gets smaller. It's easy for us to be kind of first in our world, right? So part of these pursuing, gathering, giving, growing, going on mission is, in a sense, reorienting our hearts away from ourselves alone towards the God who made us, yes, but also outward to the world that he's called us to reach, to the people he's called us to be in community with. See, if Christ is gonna be first in our lives, like that's what we believe as Christians, that Christ should be first in our lives, then it's gonna actually be evident. If something's first in your life, it's gonna be evident in how you spend your time. It's gonna be evident in how you use your, your, your talents or your giftings, the way God has wired you. And it's absolutely going to be evident in how you spend the treasure God has given you. Time, talent, and treasure. We want to see Jesus be first in those things. And so what happens is that we find ourselves in need, or sometimes we find ourselves in, in greed, and so we start holding tightly because We find ourselves in places of fear. We close our hands out of fear, uh, and, and instead we say, no, we want to be people who are generous, who are courageous, and part of how we can demonstrate courage and faith and trust is where we place our time, talent, and treasure. So our scriptures today... All out of um, 2 Corinthians uh, chapters 8 and 9. This is Paul writing a letter um, to uh, the church in Corinth. It was a church that he he loved. It's a church he knew really well. He'd visited several times. It's a true church that he had a lot of affection for. And he's like, hey, there's some things you guys are doing really, really well. There's some areas of correction and and challenge and encouragement that I want to give you. And some areas of coaching. And in chapters 8 and 9, he begins to coach them as a church around this second idea that we're talking about of giving. And so I'm going to walk through this chapter in kind of six quick parts. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, if you're new as well, you can grab our discipleship guide. We're in giving week one. That'll let you know kind of where we're at so you can follow along. All right. First verses, we'll talk about it. Generous in poverty. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 7. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, and of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus, that as he started, he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Okay, first part, we've got six different ways we're looking at generosity today. Part number one, generosity in poverty. The, 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 we're complex people. We're holistic people, and so we find our identity as Christians not in who we were, but what Jesus Christ has done to make us who we are now and who will be for eternity. So you're no longer an orphan, you're now adopted into the family of God. You're no longer an exile, Uh, you are now part of the kingdom of God. You're no longer uh, on your own, you're now a brother and sister in Christ. And so this change in identity is one that changes our hearts, and our worship, and our soul, and our mind, and it changes how we engage with all that we have. And so as he's coaching the Corinthian church, the Corinthians lived in an area with a lot of commerce, right? They lived in an area not unlike the Puget Sound. There was the center, the hub of commerce, right? Airplanes were built. Well, maybe not airplanes, right? Because it's Corinth, right? But like, you you know, wealth is flowing in and out through their area. We've got Boeing, Amazon, Starbucks, you know, Microsoft, if you're into that sort of thing, right? I'm an Apple guy, Um, right? Like, we've got all these industries here, and so comparatively, I, I know that the last couple years have been tough. And, you know, certainly like right now, if you've got two, three dozen eggs, you feel like your retirement's set based on the price of them right now, um, right? Like, it's, you know, gas is expensive. Like, we're feeling some of that. But can we, can we just be honest for a second and step back and say, globally, if you're in this region, you have a place to dwell, food to eat, clothing, that you're pretty wealthy compared to the rest of the world. And that's not out of guilt or shame. That's not what Paul's doing here. He's talking to a church that is affluent. And and most of us, again, don't think of ourselves as affluent. But like today, I I came in, and um, I was wearing a hooded sweatshirt that I thought looked cool, and and I walked in, and my wife's like, not cool. Um, And so I was like, well, all right, I had a jacket in my car. I went and grabbed the jacket, put this on. Like, I've got multiple items of clothing which in some parts of the world makes you affluent. And so, um, like, he's talking to a group of Christians that are like us, I want us to be thinking in this mindset, affluent. And he's saying, hey, the church in Macedonia, which was known at the time as a very impoverished area, he's saying, hey, those guys are excelling in generosity. They're the people who if you're watching, uh, uh, you know, late-night TV and you still don't stream and so you're doing commercials for some reason, like, where they're like, hey, if you, like, give a dollar a day, right, it'll help feed kids in Macedonia. That's the area he's talking about. And he's saying God's people, the church in that area, not known for their affluence, but in fact, known in affliction. And what type of affliction is he talking about? Material affliction. Known in their poverty, he's saying... They are some of the most generous people we've ever met. And and what Paul's doing, and what I want us to be thinking about, is how God's economy is counterintuitive to how we understand the economy. Right, we think more money, No, sometimes more problems if you grew up in the 90s, okay? More money, like more safety, more security, more stability. In this case for the Macedonians, what are their circumstances? Severe test of affliction, not good. Their circumstances, by all qualifications, are not good. What's their attitude? It says abundant joy. What? Right? Show, no, don't even have to show your hands. When you've been in a severe test of affliction, how often are you like, attitude, abundant joy, right? No, he's saying they have abundant Joy. What's their provision? Again, not great. Enduring, it says, extreme material poverty. What are their actions? Overwhelming generosity. And so despite their poverty, they are abundantly rich in joy and grace according to, it says, their means. Sometimes he says, uh, uh, beyond their means. He's like, hey, they, they gave till it hurt, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But it was driven by their desire. And we said a couple weeks ago that the devotion is where desire and discipline meet together. And so they were devoted to being a, a generous people. It says they were driven and begging rather for the word here is charis. I named one of my daughters that. The word means favor and grace. He's like, let us, Paul, have the favor and grace to participate in being not a a container of wealth, but a conduit of wealth. Not a container of grace, but a conduit of grace to others. See, there was this collection being taken up uh, by all the Greek churches, and Macedonia would have counted as part of them because they wanted to help um, those who were being afflicted in the churches that were in Judea, which was the area around Jerusalem. And so these mostly Jewish churches um, were, they were the ones who were really suffering. So, so if it's like, hey, you know, a dollar a day will feed kids here. You know, in this area, it was a dollar, you know, a week will feed kids, right? Like, so, so there's this kind of trickle down level of poverty that the churches around Jerusalem were all experiencing. And Paul's writing to Greek and Roman churches to say, can you support the work of the expansion of God's kingdom across geography, across cultures, across races, across backgrounds. And so he's trying to stir up generosity in their hearts. And so the Macedonians, those impoverished, they're like, le- le- we want to be generous. And so Paul said, hey, Corinthians, why don't you get on the generosity train as well? He's like, the train's about to leave the station. Let's get on this train together and let's roll out. And so it's, it's similar to like, if here churches in the US and churches in Honduras, were doing a collection to help churches in Africa. And the pastor from the church in America gets up and is like, hey, church in America, I uh, just hate to break it to you, like the church in Honduras is kinda kicking our butt on donations to Africa when the reality is we probably should be helping them out. So that's what he's doing, and so I wanna be clear what he's not doing. He's lifting up an example. He's not trying to heap shame. He's just saying, hey, by the way, if you think that your circumstances or your provision is what's preventing you from being generous, I just wanna let you know, like generosity isn't determined by your circumstances. Generosity is a disposition of your heart. And that gets us into point number two. Generosity and prosperity. Verses eight through 15. So he goes on, he says in verse eight, this is not a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. We'll talk about that in a second because the guys on TV really screw this one up a lot. Okay. And it's in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finishing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable, according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have, for it do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that this is a matter of fairness. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness as it is written. This is from the Old Testament. Whoever's gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little has no lack. Okay, so point one was generous in poverty. This is generous in in, um, oh gosh, can't even talk, prosperity. He's saying, hey, we don't give out of a command. We are generous people because we're compelled to. There's a compulsion internally that drives us to outward generosity. Jesus gave, he says in verse nine, so that we can give. He said Jesus, in verse nine, took our, he took our poverty. What does he mean? He took our poverty of sin on the cross. He, Colossians says later, nails the debt of our sin to the cross. He pays for our debt of sin on the cross. When we close and we take communion together, we're remembering that Jesus paid it all for us on the cross with his body broken and blood shed. That The outcome of that was that we would be rich. Now it doesn't mean rims, it doesn't mean whatever cool car you want, it doesn't mean house on the lake, right? He's saying, no, no, you who were once spiritually poor, Jesus Christ took your spiritual poverty and he paid your debt and then on the cross he did a direct wealth transfer of his righteousness to you and your account. So like, like I just, you know, filed my taxes. Again, I told you I have six kids, so I get tax returns. And so like I want, I'm waiting for that direct deposit on the child tax credit, right? What Jesus did on the cross, taking your sin, he then transfers over the wealth of his righteousness before God. So what that means is whether you're Corinthian or Macedonian or in Honduras or Africa or, or, or Marysville or Bellevue, If you're in Christ, you're wealthy. If you're in Christ, you're rich in his righteousness. See, for the Corinthians in verse 10, it said that they began to give towards this being generous outward campaign. He said they began to give in verse 10. He said you began to do it, and then he says, and then you desired to do it. That sounds weird to us too, right? Well, you started doing something but then you actually wanted to do it. And he's saying, hey, I understand the generosity, the giving, is, is, is not an area that most people excel in. Because we are, like, we've all dealt with scarcity. We've all dealt with, with different trauma at different points or around these types of things, and so, like, and we're all inward focused. They say, hey, for you, Corinthians, you started doing something, and it ended up leading you to a desire to do it more. We'll talk more about this next week, but isn't it interesting that sometimes our disciplines can foster our desire? When we often think, well, if I desire something, I'll get disciplined about it. See, those two things can work hand in hand, right? Like you you make a change in your diet, and at first you're like, "Ah." I don't like gluten-free bread and nut butter. And and I don't. Um, And and then after a few days, you're like, all right, gluten-free bread and nut butter sounds great. And I realized I just equated God's gift of us being generous to others with something as horrible as gluten-free bread. Um, So I apologize for that. So here's what he's saying. Corinthian Christians, you've been told about the need for the mission. You've been given an example of others who are being generous. You've responded. You've wanted to initiate. And then Paul's like, I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit do the work to guide their hearts. And so he is saying that each one of us, in some regards, have been equipped to give. He says, hey, you have been equipped to give. He, He says, you cannot give what you do not first possess or have not first received. So he says, hey, I'm not asking you to do something you are not capable of. He's saying, I'm calling you to be reminded how prosperous you are in Christ, how everything you've been given is from God. And so the challenge apparently isn't one for their bank accounts, but is one for their heart's affections. He said, hey, don't forget, church, you pledged to give, they want to give, they're equipped to give. He goes, now go ahead and be disciplined. And then he throws this in here too. He says, Corinthian church, you guys are the affluent ones. But I think we all know affluence can be fluid, right? We have good years and bad years. We have times of plenty and times of want. And he's saying, hey, right now, y'all are the ones who are on top. Y'all are doing pretty well. He's like, but that can change. And at some point, maybe they're gonna be the ones who are generous to you. Um, dur- during 2020, it was a really, really challenging season, not just for our church, but for the church. And um, we, um, uh, you know, have very limited, limited resources in our bank account. We're getting really close. And we were working on a um, uh, an online sermon and everything. And I got a call from our bank. Um, and they're like, hey, we think there's some fraud going on. We need you to give us, you know, uh, just a couple passwords real quick. And I was with a bunch of other people in the room. They all heard the call. And then they're like... Um, uh, I was like, cool, yeah, um, thanks. Thanks for doing that. Thank you for protecting us from this fraud because like, we're, we're, we're trying to stay afloat as a church here and I'm just getting ready to do an online sermon and all these things. They're like, yeah, yeah, we're here for you. We're Here to protect you, that's great. Finish the call and I immediately get a call uh, from um, uh, Al who oversees our finances and he goes, did, did, Chris, did you just transfer $5,000 to, uh, to some other account? I was like, no. He goes, because you know we can't do that like, more than like once or twice now, right? I was like, well, I, I, didn't, I didn't do that. We got defrauded. Like, other people were in the room, like, I was like, I mean, you can pray for these people who, like, are talking to a pastor who's getting ready to do online church and are, like, actually, like, yeah, anyway, we're gonna take five grand from you. By God's grace, Chase was good, and we got that restored. But while we were going through that season, we had a lot of other churches who knew that that while their giving was going up, ours wasn't in the same way. And they actually sent us checks to help make sure we could make it through that season. We were blessed to, Lord willing, be a blessing to our church and to our community and, and beyond. And I hope in time that, you know, that we become a church that's able to be generous towards others in ways So we've been able to bless church plants in different ways. We've been able to bless church planting organizations. We help um, contribute to the Pregnancy Resource Center here in Snohomish County. We've helped contribute to um, uh, train pastors and put roofs on homes, on uh, churches rather, in uh, Burkina Faso, Africa. So we're doing some of these things. But he's saying, hey, your affluence is fluid. Part of how God's economy works is for everyone to be generous in some way. And then he, he gets into this. He talks about equity from Exodus. Whoever's gathered much has nothing left over. Whoever's gathered little has no lack. I want to be clear. He's not using a a worldly definition that's popular now for equity. He's not saying everybody ends up being the same. He's saying, but if everyone's generous, everyone gets provided for. That's the example he's using from Exodus when, when they're out in the wilderness and they're all gathering their manna daily. He's saying, hey, If this all goes the way it's supposed to, if everyone is open-handed, because some people kind of want to hoard the manna for another day, and God's like, no, no, no. You're gonna, it's gonna get rotten. God's provided. He's provided for me. He's provided for you. He's provided for us. That leads us to number three, generous in provision. Verses 18, uh, sorry, 16 through 24 says this. He says, but thanks be to God, who put in the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you, For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he's going to you of his own accord. With him, we're sending the brother who's famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he's been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that we've been administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but in the sight of man. And with them, we're sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker for your benefit, and our brother, they are our brothers. They are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and our boasting about these men. What he's saying at the end of this chapter is, hey, Corinthian church, I'm asking you to be generous. I'm asking you to remain faithful in this. I'm asking you to have your, your discipline and your desire lead to devotion in giving. And then he's saying, hey, you've been granted salvation in Christ. You've been given much. And he says, hey church, also Corinthian church, I just wanna remind you, y'all aren't alone. Y'all have been gifted with, with musicians and accountants and builders and preachers. He's like, he's like man, I mean, I, I, I'd love to go to this church. He's like, I'm sending you the one that all the churches know is a preacher. Here's what I love. I love Paul, I don't, know, I don't know if Paul knew at this moment that this was gonna be part of the Bible forever and ever. But I love it that he didn't say who it was. So we were like, who's the, who's the guy? Oh, is it Tim Keller? Is it Matt Chandler? Is it, is it John Patrick? Like, Who's the guy, who's the famous preacher that everybody's like, oh, like, like he's like, no, no, no. I just want you to know, Corinthian church, you've been gifted with people who love the Lord, love God's word, and, and love his church. Mercy Fellowship, we've been gifted with people who love God's word, who love this church, who love one another, who love serving, who love giving, who love being a part of what's going on. Like you, you wonder sometimes when you're when you're leading a church in in, in an area of Snohomish County that at times can, can be known for being more apathetic. Like like man, is the apathy of our community going to end up being what holds us down? Are we going to be countercultural people who who lead with intentionality? And, and maybe maybe a little little gumption. And enthusiasm. And I'll just tell you, I said it on Wednesday, for those who are gathering at Equip on Wednesday nights, that has been so encouraging. Like, I know people love this church and love one another and love God's Word because, because we've got like 50, 60 people gathering every Wednesday just to share a meal together, study some theology, and talk about it and see how we can put it into practice. Like, that is so encouraging. Mercy Fellowship, we've been gifted with a place and space to gather. Like, I know I said things were tough in COVID, but let me tell you, I've got brothers who are on the front lines of ministry who who their churches didn't make it through COVID because they were meeting at a school or they had to shift to evenings or or the community center wouldn't let them do X, Y, Z. I know, I know part of why we were able to endure through the seasons that our region went through in terms of COVID lockdowns was because we had a place and space to gather. This place and space is a blessing. We've been blessed as well with property across the street that's like an abundance. It's it's more that, that we probably would ever need to use at any given point. And so as we talk about church Um, uh, things like our budget and and building projects and how we use the assets that God has given us. I just want to remind us that our mission is not making budget. Our mission is to make disciples who love God, disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and love people. Our mission is, it's not to maintain our building as it, as it just continues to kind of have challenges, right? I mean, the lights again flashed on and off right before service started, right? We've got a couple hallways and areas that aren't usable at this time. Or our mission is not to just maintain a building. It's to advance the kingdom of God, first in our hearts, into our families, into our church, into our communities and beyond. Saying you've been provided for. So what, what does this look like? This is some of the why we give. This is some of what calls call us people to. This is some of what the church is called to do to be generous. What does it look like? Pastor, just give it to us straight. Like what's what what does it practically mean? Well, the next chapter in the last the second half of what we're doing here today, the last third, if you will, is, is the really what does this look like? We believe it's three things. We believe generosity is intentional. We believe generosity is cheerful. And we believe generosity is sacrificial. So let's get into chapter nine as we keep going. Chapter nine, verses one through five. Generous intentionality says this. It is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boasted about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia, that's the region that Corinthian was in, has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them but I'm sending the brothers so that their boasting about you might not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some of the Macedonians come with me and they find out that you're not ready, we would have been humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for this gift, for the giving you've promised." So they may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. All right, let's talk about this for a second. Principle number one, we believe, here's some, here's some whys and hows. We believe that God gives intentionally so we can give intentionally. God gives intentionally so we can give intentionally. Like we worship a God, as we talked about the story of the Bible, Uh, anytime we're preaching on who God is and what he does, none of it's by accident. None of it's outside of his plan or providence. So we worship an intentional God. Every action God takes is with awareness done deliberately, consciously, and on purpose. And yeah, we might not always know what that purpose is, but we trust in the character of a God who's knowledgeable, powerful, loving, and good. So that means if we are to reflect his image, we believe that we are image bearers of God, then we should be people who are intentional. And I don't have to tell you about that. Like You know, you know that you are intentional about the things you care about. You prepare for the things that you're excited about. You make plans, right? Like, if you know you wanna go on a trip, you don't just day of walk up to the airport and be like, I'm here. Like, no, you man, you bought your ticket in advance, right? You wanna go to that resort, you wanna go to a restaurant, right? You make reservations. Man, it's February 12th. In two days is Valentine's Day. I almost said Halloween. <laughs> Valentine's Day is kinda like love Halloween, okay? I don't know what that means. You figure out a meaning later. That's not the point of the sermon. But right, you want to be intentional? You make plans today for Tuesday. Tuesday? Tuesday. Yeah, okay. That reminds me. Siri, set a reminder to make reservations for, okay. But we're intentional about the things we care about. And so for the Corinthian church, they said they were going to do, and all Paul's telling them is, hey, I'm just reminding you of what you said you were going to do, to have a plan. And then he stresses this at the the last verse of that section. He says, "I I want you to be both ready to give, and I want you, this is important, be willing to give. That both of those matter so much. The two words he uses are a gift, which means a willing gift, a blessing, versus this word exaction, which is giving grudgingly. Or, or this one, it means two things. Giving begrudgingly, like, okay, I'll do this. The preachers preached on giving. You know, know, the the pastor said that the budget's, you know, not there yet, you know, the bill. Okay, that's lame. But the other translation is giving expecting something. So again, right, think, well, don't think about Valentine's Day on that one. Okay, like, don't expect. He's like, "I, I just want you to give a willing gift not like, well, I'm going to give God because then he'll give to me. Right? That's what the TV preachers do all the time. And not all of them. I don't know all of them. But like, right, you turn, every now and then, like you're like, That's, this sermon's going pretty well. And then he's like, anyway, you got cancer or a grandkid that doesn't believe in Jesus? Give us a thousand dollar seed and we'll expect healing. And we'll expect their salvation. No. No, God gives intentionally so that then we can give intention. So the question I want you to ask yourself, if you're a Christian, if you call this church home, um, is my giving purposeful and regular? Like, is it intentional? And Mercy Fellowship or giving is consistent, and it's a planned part of our life rhythms, and so our giving should be on a regular basis. And so that means like, like weekly or monthly or quarterly, or like, like again, you're like, what, what? Like, I get paid once a month, and so like the first thing that I do is, is, is give and tithe to the church. That's the first thing that I do. And before I start paying any other bills, it's just a rhythm that we have set. I want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with like spontaneous giving. Right? The Bible talks about tithes and offerings. Tithes is kind of that, that regular rhythm. Offerings like, hey, I'm stirred for this deal. So like we just had the youth camp, and some people said, Hey, we want to give some scholarships to make sure all the kids can go. That's awesome. Right? Maybe you're like, hey, you know, I just I want to give spontaneously. That's great. But our giving's not supposed to be blind, it's supposed to be mindful. It's okay to be a bit systematic. So we give as a result of the first, first fruits of the labor intentionally planned as part of our budget. Like I said, for us and our family, we just give first. All right, number two. Or number five, however you're counting. Generous in cheerfulness. So our giving's intentional, it's also cheerful. Verses six through 11. Since says the point is, is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as they've decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having sufficiency in all things, that word also translates into contentment in all things, at all times, you may well abound in every good work. As it is written, he's distributed freely as he's given to the poor as his righteousness endures forever. And he who supplies the seed to the sower, bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Okay. Okay. Concept number two on cheerful, regular, sacrificial. Our God gives cheerfully so we can cheerfully give. I love how Paul just makes it clear. He's like, I've been talking about some theology of giving. Let me just tell you the point. God loves a cheerful giver. That your actions flow from your heart. He's talked about being intentional. He says, I want your intentionality to be driven by desire. That God, like, I wanna hear you rightly, like, uh, I want you to hear me rightly today. If you're you're new, or if you haven't been at church for a while, or you're not even sure what church is about, I don't want you to hear, hey, come give us some money. I want you to hear, God loves you, has given you everything in Jesus Christ to make you new, to equip you later for every good work. God's not interested in your money. He desires your heart. And our money, every dollar we spend, every dollar we give, is is a doctrinal statement of what we believe. Every dollar is a statement of our heart's affections. We'll talk more about that next week when we talk about money and worship. And so he uses this principle, I want to be clear, principle, not a promise, of sowing and reaping. It's like you, you spread a little seed, you're gonna get a little crop. You spread a lot of seed, you're gonna get a bigger crop. He's saying, hey, like exceeding generosity looks like being cheerful, being extravagant in your giving. That, as I said earlier, we're not containers of God's blessing and grace, but we're conduits of it to others. Grace is given to us, verse 8 says, for the purposes of us cheerfully giving that leads to greater gratitude. He says, we are enriched in every way, He's talking about how God enriches us tangibly and spiritually to be generous, he says, in every way, because God's the one that's supplying the means of generosity. And more than the means of generosity, that all God has given to us is this good and delightful bounty. I say this often, but the reason we like a beautiful sunrise is because our God made it beautiful and he's made us to enjoy beauty that you've been given everything. And, and maybe you're someone that at certain points like, we can do this for ourselves where we say, no, no, I haven't given, I've earned. Like I've accomplished. And I mean, man, we could do a whole series in Proverbs around work and effort and, and, and hard work, and those are all, really, those are positive things. But like to be clear, we're all products of grace. Like, like, I, I was able, by God's grace, to get a job out of college because my parents said it was important for me to go to college, I went to the University of Washington, which is the greatest university in the state of Washington, perhaps all of the Pac-12, uh, the things that matter, like football, uh, right? And so, like, I got to go to UW, like, so I got an education there. I didn't create UW. Like, out of college, I got an internship with a marketing agency that did work for sports teams. I didn't make the sports teams. I got on full-time because they said, we need help with our Starbucks business. I didn't create Starbucks. I didn't, I didn't create coffee. Starbucks didn't even create coffee. Coffee was God's idea, right? And so like all of these things conspired, or you could say the hand of providence, led me to be able to provide for me and my family at that time when I was in marketing, helped us buy our first home. Like if you're educated, it's because God gave you an intellect. If you're driven and motivated, that's God putting something in your heart. If you're skilled, that's a talent you've been given. If you're succeeding economically, it's in part because you're in an economy that's succeeding, eh, not at this moment, but relatively, right? Like you're here. In the Northwest, in the, you know, what I always say, I I always forget what year it is, 2023. Like, that was God's gift to you to be here now. So we respond cheerfully. So we ask ourselves this, am I properly motivated in our giving? That our giving is in a glad response to what God has given us in Christ. That Jesus gave cheerfully. When we talk about the cross, it says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross not because the cross was easy, but because it was a heart of joy that says, I know this is gonna be effectual to save my people. See, our God's a great gift giver. As I said, we get that wealth transfer of righteousness. I wanna be clear, when you give, you're not paying God back for what he did. We can never pay back God for what he did in Jesus, but we can and do and should live lives in response to what Jesus has done for us. See, God, I know, wants our contentment. That word sufficiency also says contentment, and and, and he wants us to be content in this provision. Part of how I know that is, you know, I I try to remind us often what Jesus' first miracle was. Yes, Jesus gave sight to blind. Jesus gave hearing, right? He gave, you know, got people out of spiritual bondage and demonic oppression. Jesus fed the 5,000, right? But his first miracle, his first miracle, turning water into wine so a wedding feast could continue. Like, first act, first miraculous act of Jesus on the scene is, let's keep the party going. Yeah, right? Like, he's like, I have a good news God. And he's like, and, and the wine was running out, and the party was going to get lame. And, and Jesus' mom's like, Jesus, I know you can fix this. And he's like, Mom? Not like, something like that. It does say woman. and I don't know, okay. But he's like, I want the party to go. I want to fill you with joy and contentment. So he wasn't like, oh, I turn the water into wine so you can numb out because life sucks. There's that one, too. He's like, no, I want you to be content and joyful. So we give because God is a cheerful giver. All right, last point. Last verses, 12 through 15, generous sacrifice says this. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Last concept, God gives sacrificially so we can give sacrificially. See, we read through those verses and we hear things like submission and confession and and those are words we don't love, right? Generosity, service. Ooh, those are all outward focused. But he's saying first, no, this is because of Jesus' sacrifice in your place. When he's talking about that inexpressible gift, he's talking about the cross. That you've been given everything. That Jesus was driven by desire to give and sacrifice all on the cross that we worship a sacrificial God. He was motivated by the reward of purchasing his people from slavery of sin, from selfishness, to be sons and daughters. So we could be heirs to the kingdom who no longer live self-focused lives, but have joy in having lives that are focused and motivated by this new identity in Christ. So we ask ourselves, Am I properly motivated in my giving? Yes. But am I giving proportionately, generously, sacrificially? Let me just say this. For giving to be significant, it needs to cost us something. Our giving should be in accordance with how each one's been prospered by God according to our abilities, right? For some people, right, that might be more than, you know, kind of what we say 10%, that might be more. For some of you, giving anything is incredibly sacrificial. So it's an issue that you need to work out in your heart. But it is an issue that should be worked out. See, we're called to give generously, even sacrificially. He says, not to the point of personal affliction, so, man, that's attention. He says, be sacrificial, but not to affliction. So, what's the concept? You're giving something that you feel the loss. That, that like I said, costs you something. Keeps you from doing something you would do otherwise. Um, how I've worked it out for myself personally is is asking myself, like, besides my house payment, what's the largest payment I have? Like, I don't usually have a problem making a two-year cell phone commitment. Maybe you have a vehicle payment, cell phone bill, car payments, you know, select sports, eating out, trips, entertainment, whatever. Like, like I said, and we'll talk about this more next week. Please come back next week. Um, like, every dollar you spend is worship because you're assigning worth to something. And so we give in a way, not that you're like, oh, I can, I can, I can give this much. I won't even feel it. It won't even change anything for me. By, by God's grace, and again, I'm just using my, myself and our family as an example. By God's grace, as our kids have been born, and we, we had a ton of debt, we're working ourselves out of debt, and all sorts of things, um, that, that like, um, we, we, in doing our taxes, I'm able to see like, what do we give, all this stuff. And I've been able to, by God's grace, we, we as a family have been able to give more each year, n- numerically, and by percentage of our income, each of the last 15, 16 years. And I always tell our kids that, because I want to model that for them. And, and, and I tell them that at dinner, and I got a big smile on my face, and the kids are like, we don't care. You know, I'm like, okay, maybe someday, when you're paying the bills, you'll care. But like there were years and times where like, I, like, I knew we had a ton of debt and, and it was we, our family, I'm just saying for, for me and us, we're given the conviction that we should be generous during this time and season, that God's called us to, to, to use our first fruits to, to help advance you know, the mission of, of his kingdom, specifically in the local church that we were in and serving at. And so like, as we did that, there were years at the end where I'd look at the, the giving statement and been like, maybe I could have paid off a, a credit card bill that year. That year. But then I know myself. Maybe you know yourself. I know we wouldn't have spent it that way. But I knew it cost us something. And so I don't know what that amount is for you, but I want you to consider it. So as you think about like your next step, what's the conversation you need to have with your spouse? What's the conversation you need to have with yourself? What's the, where where do you need to look at how, like looking at your budget as a doctrinal statement of what you believe. Knowing like, I mean, he says not to personal affliction. Like nobody's saying like, hey, sell your house and you donate, like, no, he's just saying, hey, you've been given enough to be generous. And then he, uh, he's a God who, wants us to enjoy, I mean, I could, to, to be able to teach on, on how much God has given us to enjoy is, is something that I, just, I, I wanna do over and over and over again. God's not calling you to be sad. He's calling you to be generous and to lead to, to joy, not personal affliction. And so real quick, like what happens if you don't, do you want, like all three of these matter, intentionality, cheerful, and sacrificial. If you take one of these away, it gets weird real quick. If you're regular, intentional, and cheerful, but not sacrificial, then your giving is gonna be ineffective. What I mean by that is that it might not be effective to bless your neighbor, or, or if you don't feel it sacrificially, it might not be effective to direct your heart. If you are um, giving uh, regular, uh, and or sorry, sacrificial and cheerful, but not regular, then your giving is gonna be inconsistent. And it's just kind of, uh, you're gonna be undisciplined in your stewardship, right? We worship a God whose mercies are new every morning who gives us fresh grace and manna on the daily. And so we're intentional. And then if your giving's regular and sacrificial but not cheerful, then I just wanna tell you, like, I mean, yeah, it might help us make budget, it might help us advance the kingdom, right? But your giving is gonna be incomplete because we're whole people and God doesn't want your bank account, he wants your heart's affections. So what's your next step? Maybe your, maybe your next step's just to become a Christian. I wanna tell you, if there's something in your heart right now that says, I wanna be on Team Jesus after 40 minutes on giving, that is the Holy Spirit working in your life saying, I wanna join this team. But maybe it's your moment to say, yeah, I'm a Christian now, and and, and I wanna be baptized. Remembering that Jesus died for me and rose so that I could have new life in him. We're getting ready to do baptisms on Easter. You wanna get baptized in the next few weeks, let me know, I'd love to talk to you about that and what that public profession of faith looks like. Maybe like I said, it's if you're a Christian or if you call this church home, maybe it is to look at your budget and how you're spending. Maybe it is to to get out of debt or to get counseling for that type of thing. Like we have those resources available. Or maybe like I said, it's to have a conversation. Maybe with your spouse, maybe with yourself. What does this look like? To be cheerful, regular, and sacrificial in our giving. How we use our money matters to God. It displays our hope, faith, and trust. So Jesus intentionally died, sacrificing for us on the cross, motivated by his joyful desire so that we can be a a people who give and live as we continue to trust Jesus. Let's pray. God, you're good to us. God, you're good for us. I thank you for your story of Jesus who created all things good, who because of sin we're separated from you, but God, you pursue us in Jesus Christ because Jesus is God, because Jesus is perfect, because Jesus died on the cross in our place. We're given a direct wealth transfer of righteousness for our identities, for our souls, so we can live new lives, so we can be people who gather, who give, who grow, who go on mission. Lord, I thank you for this church, for these people, for this place, and this space. Lord, I pray that the words today in the Holy Spirit um, would not be of condemnation or shame, but would perhaps be of conviction or encouragement or stirring hearts' affections. For us to be a people who are generous and continue to be generous not to make budget or maintain a building, but to make disciples and advance your mission. God, you're good to us, you're good for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, this is a chance for you to respond to...